Hey everyone, and welcome to a Plain Account Weekly podcast. I'm Alicia McClintock here with my co-host Ben Kramer, and we are going to open up the scriptures to read the gospel lectionary passage for this week. It's a really familiar one, and I'm struggling with what to say if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> but I think one of the things that I always feel the lectionary inviting me to do is to root myself in the in the season right so we're in the season of lent um as we keep company with jesus as he makes his way to the cross and holy week is looming ever closer so uh we we hold that in our minds as we're connected to this bigger story what is happening in the life of christ how are we being invited to journey with Jesus to the cross? And I think then that gives me a foundation to, to, to stand on um, when I'm coming to texts that, that stump me or puzzle me or that like where it feels like I don't quite have, um, have an entryway. There's some texts that I read and I think I have a million things to say. I could preach this sermon for the rest of my life. We had that a couple weeks ago with Mark 8, the right. like, who do you say that I am sort of passage. I think I could preach that text ad infinitum and still not necessarily have finished saying what there is to say about discipleship. Um, So I remind myself of, of some, some of those dynamics when I open up the scripture on a Tuesday morning and feel like, yeah, how, how are we going to get to Sunday? Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. How about you, Ben? No, I'm, I feel that same way. Like, I, I loved our conversations on Marquette because it felt like it was, we were entering a conversation that's ongoing. Here, so much has been said. It's like coming around the Thanksgiving table and hearing all the same stories again. I'm like, okay, so like, what's new though? Like, I want to hear something fresh and new. And so my my posture immediately goes like, okay, how am I supposed to preach on this without everyone in the congregation just checking out as soon as I get to John 3.16, you know, that everybody knows this. We And there's that like tangible feeling that we've already learned and heard everything we need to know about this. So like, what else is there? And I'm not going to really engage if you keep going down this direction, you know? And and so I I think that's really where I find myself. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. So on, I mean, on that note, let's maybe start with reading the text, but this, but maybe before I read the text, I just would say that this, this is one of the things that, um, that provides a bit of a barrier for me when I'm coming to really familiar passages. Mm. Um, Like when I, when, whenever I come around to uh, the resurrection narratives or, um, or the nativity narratives, stories that we have told year after year over and over again, the same texts, right. That often when I, when I read those texts um, in a worship service or when I'm preaching from them, I remind my people, like, I'm not here to make this super fresh or new or exciting. I'm just hoping that we can honestly open the scriptures and hear the word of the Lord for us today. Um, And and so I, like, I try to frame it that way when I know we're coming into a really familiar story that Mm -hmm. like people might be checking out of. And this, this is again, a dynamic I notice in, in a lot of the congregations where I'm ministering that I'm, um, I'm serving folks who have been following Jesus at least twice as long as I've been alive. So right. they've, heard, they've heard these like significantly more than even I have. Right. Um, and, but, 
but I, I'm always trying to invite my people to hear the scripture afresh, even mm -hmm. if my words aren't new or interesting or special, um, to trust that the spirit is ministering in a fresh way. Right, right. That's really so, good. So on that, on that note, here we are, John chapter three, I'll be um, picking up with the lectionary pericope that begins at verse 14. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that God gave God's only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light mm. because the deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate mm. the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Mm. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, here we are. The gospel of John, <laughs> full of like metaphysical light and dark imagery. Uh, John's always talking about eternal life um, and, and life to the full, which I think we have to unpack. Um, there's this Moses and the serpent in the wilderness situation. There's, there's the whole fact that this conversation is a one-to-one -one conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, who has come mm -hmm. asking questions in the dead of night. So there's a lot going on here that maybe we want to unpack. Um, ben, where do you think we should start? Like, where do we, where do we enter into the text? Well, I've always liked to follow uh, a logic that you've laid out for us in the past where, you know, how have we come to this in, in the, uh, the book that we're reading? So John's yeah. passage, Jesus has made a radical claim that he is God incarnate, the son of God come down from heaven. And, you know, all leading up to this, there's th this, John has been really careful to articulate logos like who jesus is as the word of god god incarnate god in the flesh um, and so nicodemus i think comes to this conversation with those same questions that have been rattling around everyone else's mind and i can't really get a good sense of like nicodemus's posture is he like there to you know maybe criticize is he there to really know is it a mixture of both you know and i think I think anyone can really come away with maybe there's just a mixture of both there. He doesn't know, but he's, he's like suspicious of Jesus. You know, there's, you can kind of read that in the, in the group there, but. Yeah, I think, I think, thanks for pointing us to that. I think we remember, here's the arc of Jesus's ministry, mm -hmm. Jesus, uh, Jesus's public ministry, right. kind of like as he's been brought into like the public spotlight um and the way john tells the story we begin with the wedding at cana mm -hmm. a celebration a wedding feast water is turned into wine um and then jesus cleanses the temple overturns the tables at the uh in the outer courts um 
cast out the money changers. And then um, it seems immediately after that, mm-hmm. we have a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, comes to Jesus by night asking questions. Right. Um, right. And and I I think if we're if we're going to properly understand what like John three sixteen is all about, we have to first hear it as a word to Nicodemus, yeah, um, right. and understand like what's what's happening there. Because mm-hmm. I don't think that like those those ideas can't mean um, what they didn't mean to him. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yes, there, absolutely. There, there, there is, of course, like more to be uncovered from the words of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we have to start with what it meant in the original context, if we're going to understand what it means for us today. Right. And so, so we start with Nicodemus asking questions. And I love that you point to this ambiguity about his character. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we don't know if he is, if he's truly, um, honest and open I like to believe that about him I like to believe that he's like really wrestling with yeah. like what just happened at the me temple too. I've gotta talk to this guy like right. tell me more about this what's mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. um but I mean there there is also like ve- the very real possibility that he's just like gathering reconnaissance that he's sure. like on a spy mission at night to mm-hmm. like recover some intel about Jesus so that he could be arrested right like sure. this is this is a thing that the that the religious leaders do mm-hmm. <laughs> is like mm-hmm. testing Jesus and gathering reconnaissance so that they can present a case and get right. rid of him, right? right. So we don't really we don't really know what what's going on in Nicodemus's heart or mm-hmm. what his intentions are here. Um, yeah. Other than the fact that he does come to see Jesus and he does like engage mm-hmm. in what seems to be a meaningful conversation, right? Right. right. Um, the like as the conversation unfolds ben you were saying um before we went live that he seems sort of like obtuse nicodemus yeah. seems to be the kind of like willfully understand mm-hmm. willfully misunderstanding right what Jesus is saying but he also like sticks around and keeps asking the question sure. yeah like because he could just say like you're talking nonsense uh-huh. this is a waste of my time Bye. <laughs> <laughs> well and how how all of us who are pastors can resonate with that church person that sticks around, you know, always engages in conversation, but is so almost willfully resistant to metaphor, to um, understanding broader narratives, to like, like help me help you to like engage in this broader ongoing story. And yet it's like, I need, you know, in, in Idaho context, I need meat and potatoes. Keep it, keep it simple. You know, I, I need to hear that, that, that good old, fashion religion really and it's like well there's so much more going on here that if you're not willing to like hear metaphor or hear what I'm trying to talk about like there's there's really no going forward in this and so I feel that sense of tension with that sense of obtuse here Uh, but I love how you pointed out too that like this this is as real as the gospel gets one Jesus I think in the gospel of John I may be wrong here but it feels like we're in chapter three, Jesus has already predicted his death. 
and it's and it's early on and so jesus is working with something that's so well known to us after the cross and resurrection but that's an event that's not even happened yet it's all theory like he may or may not go to the cross he may or may not be raised from the dead and so he's basing all of what he's doing now on the cross that we deeply believe in but nicodemus is like looking for whatever he can hold on to here and so are the disciples and it's a risk on jesus part to meet with him this potential enemy one that could like lead to his crucifixion and death but it's also a risk of nicodemus of like co you know um, whatever the word is like conspiring with this radical who's just overturned industry and big business and like is hanging out with all the wrong people already and we're only in chapter three like you know so like this is as real as real world conversations get and the willingness of these two coming together, I think, is a sermon in and of itself, given the political, theological ramifications of what this possibly could mean for both of them. Right, right. Yeah. And and then it's like it's in that really honest conversation that we that we hear Jesus proclaim like the the, the essentials of his life and ministry and purpose, right? right. Um, a, a, a mission of love, a mission of sacrifice, a mission of true healing for the, for the whole world, for mm-hmm. all of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't the sort of stuff that he's saying um, from his public platforms to, to the whole crowd, right? right. That I, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to name is that there's there's like high risk but high reward Mm -hmm. in these conversations right like this is this is a really risky encounter um but the but the conversation that emerges is really rich Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i think uh i will be looking for metaphors in in history maybe specifically american history of those who were opposed to the mission being proclaimed and met with them, you know, at, I think of the, the dinner that uh, Robert Kennedy had with leading black activists that actually changed his mind regarding the civil rights movement, similar to what happened with Abraham Lincoln, who wanted to deport black people to, you know, South America when until he had pivotal conversations with black activists saying no it's like we we deserve equal rights and that changed his whole narrative too and understanding that you know they thought that martin luther king jr was a communist until they actually had conversations with his vision and his goal for equity and justice for for his community um and how this narrative actually has the same outcome that Nicodemus does go on to be a disciple and can it be because of this conversation here that they both risked and were were willing to have given the preconceptions of everything that has happened or was it because of what Nicodemus saw at the cross which I think that's where my uh, you know conviction lies is that after Nicodemus saw what happened on the cross and everything came together the temple cleansing the miracles all of the things that were encapsulated that were just made ultimately revealed by the cross that is when Nicodemus became this sold out disciple who's found at the tomb um, with uh, tending to the body you know trusting and hoping that (laughs) the resurrection would come right yeah which then I think 
I think the invitation for us today is to think about who are who are the risky enemies mm. people who we who we think are so far on the other side yeah. of of our own position like who who do we need to be having risky conversations yep. with that are open and honest and vulnerable and mm-hmm. real mm-hmm. like where where do we need to build bridges toward deeper understanding right um, amen yeah and that's that's I think like a really timely invitation of mm-hmm. Nicodemus and Jesus's chat. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay, we've been <laughs> dancing, we've been dancing around some of the yeah. like difficult parts of this passage, like the serpent, <laughs> in, the, the serpent in the wilderness situation. Uh, I'm okay to. To quote one of the most underrated 20th century theologians, <laughs> Indiana Jones, why does it have to be snakes? Like, I don't want to touch that. I don't. Right. No, no one should have to touch that. It's a snake. It's slimy. It's gross. It's not really slimy, but it looks slimy. And that's enough to make you grossed out. And like, no, why does it have to be snakes? <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's going on here? The Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Yeah. Man, so that's actually our first reading for uh, if you have all of the lectionary texts, and I would encourage you on this Sunday to have Numbers 21 read uh, so that there's some contextual uh, just invitation there for the congregation to be like, okay, this is a weird passage from Numbers. Jesus is talking about it here. How does this make sense? And, And I think one of the most important things for me is to remember just like the practical sense that when Moses raised the serpent up on the stake, that means the serpent was dead. So like he stuck it on a stake and set it up in in accordance to God's request. Um, And so the the snake is raised up to the Israelites who are being consumed by snakes um, so that they may look upon it and be saved. There's a couple of things I think that would be helpful for the congregation to get their imaginations around it Uh, one I think they will be automatically drawn to the Garden of Eden our first introduction to a snake which has all sorts of ramifications there but to understand that in the ancient Near East uh, snakes were regarded as a symbol of human wisdom human knowledge it was elevated as divine especially in the Babylonian world Um, and in the Hebrew context what they're trying to show is that Yes, human knowledge and wisdom is so incredible, but it has to be understood as a gift from God. Otherwise, we could use it for very destructive outcomes. And so that symbolism needs to be uh, understood there. Even Jesus says to be wise as serpents and humble as doves. So that, you know, that can really help to build this understanding of what snakes actually are in the real world, this venomous enemy, this enemy in the garden, but also this metaphor for this gift of human reason from God and how it can have really horrible consequences when it's not uh, utilized as the gift of God to humanity um, to, to build up the work of God's love, God's mission in, in the world. So I think there's some of those that, that need to be uh, played out there. And most notably, what it means again jesus is talking about his death here so what does it mean for a serpent to be raised up in accordance with what's happening with the israelites being consumed by the snake and those who look upon the snake will be saved those who don't will not and how that relates to people who look upon christ crucified 
and will be saved, or those who don't believe what God is revealing through the cross will be condemned. Because uh, I don't think we'll be able to understand born again or light and darkness, uh, what it means to repent, our failures, our sin, if we don't really kind of get that clarified. And snake is a hard symbol. Like to talk about a serpent king is, is really, really difficult. Yeah, totally. Thanks so much for um, shining uh, a light on some of that um, texture and background. Um, a couple other things that might be interesting to to add to that like picture that we've painted is uh, not only was the serpent, the snake, a symbol of human wisdom or, or wi wisdom in the ancient Near East, it was also like a, a symbol of healing, right? It's, mm. it's, well, sort of, it's like the, you know, the rod that's intertwined right. with snakes, the rod of, yeah. uh, Asclepius, I'm going to pronounce that wrong. Um, uh, but like that's become the symbol for the medical profession. So it's, it's the symbol of, of wisdom, but also of like of healing. Um, there's also another another snake entwined staff carried by one of the the Greek uh, gods in the pantheon, uh, Hermes, who's the messenger, right? So it's like mm. it's it's not just human wisdom, but also divine message, um, divine communication, um, healing, th that sort of stuff gets kind of wrapped in, which is hard to see. Like you said, snake is a hard symbol mm -hmm. um, when, when it's colored by so many other things, right? The serpent right. in the garden, Slytherin, who's the worst and unreformed <laughs> Hogwarts house, right? Like, I think of Jafar, like his yes. staff the whole time is a great big cobra, you yeah. know? Or, right, or what's his name from the Jungle Book? Yeah, like, oh, trust in me. Ew, yeah, like, it's hard. Okay, like it's it's a tough symbol yeah, to, it is. to counter, but part of me wonders if maybe that's the invitation, right? Yeah. That like, that like two, two, it, to come back to that story about Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness who are being bitten by poisonous snakes, to look on the thing that is killing you, um, to look clearly like as you're suffering on the thing that is causing you to suffer. Mm. Um, I think it's only then that you can move forward into right. a place of healing. Like mm -hmm. if you're ignoring it or if you're pretending it doesn't happen or if you're what whatever yeah. um if you're if you're ignorant or like mm -hmm. unable to look on the source of the of the suffering or the disease or or the i don't know to use another metaphor like the root of evil like yeah. if you're unwilling to look at that then there's no hope for healing mm -hmm. but if you are willing to look at it or to use other biblical language to confess and repent sure. to see with clear eyes yeah. to agree with God about what is good and about what is not good mm -hmm. and then to move in the way that God calls right. demands right. then 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 that then that is the way of healing but mm -hmm. you don't get there without like looking at the snake right right, right. and like and 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 having a clear picture of the thing that is killing you yeah. so that you can look to the one who is healing you right right yeah. absolutely it's something you said live at, at, uh, before we went live it's this kind of calling out of of a refusal to be apathetic about what's 
what's truly killing it and looking upon things with sober judgment that are hard to look at. Like it's difficult to admit one thing that your entire tribe is being devoured by poisonous snakes. Like that's a difficult thing. It's also difficult to look upon that reality and say, okay, we are powerless in the face of this. Like that is bringing in, it's, it's complicated. It's difficult work to say we are powerless to confront this after admitting the reality of it. Like those are some huge steps of faith, but that's the exact invitation that the light of God in Christ Jesus is calling people to understand that God's light in Christ reveals these things, the apathy, the, the, the willingness to just let that evil hold sway, let that death define our relationships. It's just, you know, the way things are, we just need to accept the status quo, you know, let's, let's just try to do the best we can, you know, to, to get by, but the light won't let us do that. Once it's been revealed to us, what is killing us, what is leading us to very death dealing ways, we have this decision then to look upon the very thing that is killing us and say the one who's offering us life uh, to believe in that, to believe in the, the one who's inviting us into life and salvation. And if we don't, then we are already condemned, as Jesus says. We are already going to be wasting away by what's already killing us because the snakes yeah. are going to continue either way. So it really makes this hopeful, life-giving, loving invitation, like John 3.16 communicates, that to look upon the death that is devouring us on our crucified Lord is this invitation to believe that that's the way that God is going to save us in the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, like, as Jesus uses this story and this imagery to talk about his own mission and his mm-hmm. own impending yeah. death, he's also, like you said, communicating this hopefulness, this hopefulness of healing. So that when we look on the state sanctioned execution mm-hmm. of an innocent man, we're, we're looking on the violence of the empire. Right. We're looking at the hatred and jealousy of religious leaders who wanted to protect mm-hmm. their own power right. we're looking we're we're looking at everything that is that is dark and evil and twisted yeah. and horrid about the human experience mm-hmm. absolutely and and, and also mm-hmm. we're looking at this scandalous self-giving love this like self-emptying this um this this gentle sacrificial um offering mm-hmm. of Jesus right like he uh someone who doesn't defend himself who yeah. doesn't um raise a hand against those who are unjustly mm-hmm. beating him like it's I, I in in the same way that like when we look on the cross we look on everything that is twisted about humanity we also see mm-hmm. perhaps everything that is loving and generous about jesus i don't know i i always struggle with trying to like name what's happening at the crucifixion without sounding like a heretic (laughs) (laughs) it's like really it's it's difficult to try to nail down some of those things and to say everything there is to say Mm -hmm. um but but i do think there there's something that jesus is saying about looking with clear and sober judgment yeah um yeah and agreeing with God about what is good mm-hmm. and about what is true 
Um, we, we have also enfolded within our passage this conversation about truth and the light and what yeah. belongs to God and what does not belong to God. Um, yeah, and, and, I, and I, in some mysterious way, Jesus is pointing to his own death as mm-hmm. the lens through which right. we look. Right. And I, th- I think that you have hit on something that is so vital, especially in understanding the crucifixion, is that we have beautified the cross because it's a symbol of liberation for us. But why? It's specifically because it's so dis- detestable. It's the symbol of everything that is wrong with the world, every single thing that is wrong with the world. So it's not beautiful. The cross is not beautiful. It's horrendous. It's, it's the lynching tree of American slavery. It's the concentration camps of Nazi Germany. Like those things are not beautiful. We look at them and memorialize them because of the horrendous things that have happened and how humanity has had to recover from those things, but they're not beautiful. They're not good. They're not meant to be glorified. What the cross is, is the revelation of God in Christ Jesus has shown so much light that it has illuminated all that is horrible in the world. And if we look upon the cross and understand and admit and come to grips with all the twisted things in the world, then the God who has taken on all of those twisted things offers us a new way, offers us the way of truth, life, and salvation, and love, and mercy, joy, peace, understanding, gentleness, like all of those things are offered to us if we but just look upon the cross and believe that God has taken upon all of those things on God's self and has opened up for us a new way. But it's only in holding those things in tandem. The light has revealed the horrific nature of the cross. Mm-hmm. The cross isn't the, the, the source of that light, right? The one who's hanging on it is. <laughs> yeah. That is the source of light. Um, and that we see that fullness in the, in the resurrection, but we can't get to the depth of what the resurrection means if we don't understand the horrid depth of what the cross actually uh, signifies for us. Right. Yes. No, that's exactly true. And then, so, so that takes me to some of the, some of the born again mm. language that's happening within, uh, within this, passage right like I think in the same way that Jesus is talking about his own death on the cross I think Jesus is also talking about his own resurrection and new life mm-hmm. um and he's talking about that in in metaphorical ways I, I think it's important to remember that in the gospel of John when Jesus when Jesus talks about eternal life he's always talking in the present tense he's always talking about a fullness of right. life that's available now um I also think it's important to talk about uh, the ways that, um, that God, the spirit of God is doing the birthing, Mm -hmm. right. That, that there, that, that there is something like you were just saying that happens between, uh, the crucifixion, the cross, the empty tomb, right. There's something that's happening there. Um, but it is, but it is God who is birthing a new order. A new creation is God who is doing that work. Mm -hmm. And so we, we look on it and believe and receive the work that God has done and then, and participate in God's mission in the world. Um, But, but there is something mysterious, I think that Jesus is pointing to that it is, that it is God's spirit who is doing this kind of 
-hmm. birthing labor. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It is God that is doing that kind of birthing labor. I, I love that because even in numbers, when you get this picture of an invitation to look upon, like God is doing the great work. God is doing, taking on the, the sin and death, just like God, you know, God took upon the, the, the carnage that was happening to Israel in, the, in numbers. You know, there's, there's this very real sense that you don't have to do this work. You don't have to reckon with the sin that's in the world. God is going to do all of that work. All you have to do is to admit it, come to grips with the the wickedness of the world and look upon what God is doing and believe like that is, that is such a different, you know, all that does aside, that is such a different narrative than what I was raised with. We can get into that in just a little bit, but like that's such a different narrative. And, And so then even judgment, because Jesus talks about judgment language right after that, the judgment isn't this willful act of God in Christ saying, you are goats, you are sheep, this is the divided line. And we can't, I don't think we can get away with predestination here either. Like it's this very willful, like those who look upon that and say, I admit, oh my word, like this is wicked. I need to come to grips with that. And I need to rely on God to get me through this, to, to really redeem what's going on here. And then there are those who are like, no, like I'm, I'm fine. The status quo is great. I, I, I'm self-sufficient, so I can take care of myself. You know, any, any sort of responses to that and just say, no, I'm going to go and choose my own way. That's the division. That's the dividing line. And it's not God willfully doing that. It's people who are unwilling to look upon what God has revealed in Christ Jesus and, and believe and walk in that way. Um, and so it even has eschatological implications here that when Christ returns, those who see the heavens parting and Jesus descending with angel, all of those things, there will still be those. It's not going to be clean cut. There will still be those and be like, eh, it's probably great computer graphics or something. Like, that's eh, it's just a show. I'm not going to believe fully in that. Like, we, are, we would be so naive to assume that yeah. if that happened today, there still wouldn't be a, a, a number of people that say, no, I'm, I'm good. I still would rather live my own life than really look upon the way that Christ is calling us into and, and be saved. Yeah. Mm, I like, I like that a lot. I think maybe I would just add slash adjust and say like folks who, who maybe say I would rather die my own death than, right. than die right. the death that, that, that Christ has invited us mm-hmm. to. That's good. Um, that, but I mean, I think, I think that's, listen, I'm struggling to make sense <laughs> of the like Moses and the serpent in the wilderness. Sure, sure. Like, I don't know if I can say anything definitively about that. So sorry, <laughs> I don't have the answers, but I, I can, I can imagine like what it's like for folks to be in that situation. Yeah, you've you've yeah. been bitten by a snake, you're dying in the wilderness and you're like, well, I'm dying anyway. So mm-hmm. I'm like, just leave me alone to to suffer like just forget it right that there's a sense of of despair of just saying like yeah like f it all i'm dying anyway so i'm just gonna die Mm -hmm. um rather than the ones who would say like well this this is terrible and i'm dying Mm -hmm. and then they turn to look at something that promises some sort of hope right and and they have enough 
maybe maybe even it's just a mustard seed yeah. size amount of faith to believe like well if I'm dying and suffering and there's a chance for healing then I might turn toward that with hope yeah um, and so so I do think that there's this there's this like yeah that that that's the dividing line like mm-hmm. you were saying it's like I'll live my own life or die my own death or like perhaps in the midst of that despair there might be a bit of hope wow um, that's really good I yeah and I don't like I don't I don't know how we as as pastors shepherds spiritual midwives I don't I don't know how we keep showing up to nurture that seed right. of hope in <laughs> in really dark and troublesome right. times yeah um, but I but I guess I like the root the roots of my hope keep coming back to this fact that God is the one who is doing the birthing mm-hmm. right? that God is moving all creation to new creation yep. God like all creation is groaning in labor pains to bring forth new life mm-hmm. and like and and God is the one who is laboring yeah and and even if I have just like just an infinitesimal amount of faith to look on God's work with hope I could trust that that's enough. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so good. Well, I think something needs to be reclaimed for me in some of the language that I was raised with, but like, what then, like, how do we conclude on this born again language, you know, the, to like considering all the things that we've spoken about in the context yeah. and the, the narratives and the metaphors that are being used here, you know, I was raised with born again language kind of signifying who's in and who's out. You know, it was very, obviously Jewish people are out, Catholic people are out. Like in my context, the born again language was talking about like, well, are you really born again though? Um, and and I'm, I'm sure many had that kind of similar experience. Sure. Well, and, and then, and then for me, it's the, like every single time I'm at a church retreat or like summer camp or whatever, yes. like, every, <laughs> every altar call where I'm like, eh, but am I really though? Am I right. really born again? Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, and then the things I would say to sweet baby Alicia, <laughs> I would tell her, listen, hon, like if you're worried about it, you're good. Yeah. Like, you're, if you're like actually dreading, like, am, right. am, am I truly, really saved? Like God's already mm-hmm. met you there. Right. Um, right. But, but yeah, I mean like so much of that language was, I, I don't think intentionally, I, I have generous explanations for, um, sure. for those sure. voices that, that uh, appeared in my, in my past faith experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also gives me a lot of pause as a as a preacher and pastor now um, to be attentive to my language and the connotations that it has. Right. Um, and again, I don't think I have a great <laughs> a great answer to that, other than to say the things that I'm always saying. Right. Mm-hmm. That God created a good and beautiful world, um, and God is is actively reckoning with the forces of sin and evil. Yeah. And, God is moving all creation to new creation and God starts with us in our own hearts. Right. Um, and so, so that, so that the same power that conquered the grave lives in us and empowers mm-hmm. us to live holy lives. Right. Um, and, and that, and that is the, that is the new life. That is the, that is the thing that is being born in us anew every, yeah. I mean, every moment. Yeah. Um, and, and so, so I, I tried to, 
to use that kind of framing work. Um, yeah, I don't know. Cause I, cause I struggle to, to speak with any personal authority about like, like a singular moment of conversion. Sure. Like sure. This is maybe not, this is not really part of mm-hmm. my story. I've been, um, so like blessed to grow up in a life of faith and to yeah. come to deeper and deeper maturity. That doesn't mean that I haven't had my own moments of God's life being born in mm-hmm. me anew over and over and over again. But it, it just like, I, I don't know. I struggle with this like salvation moment. Yeah. Yeah. Narrative. But that's personal confession mm-hmm. and Alicia's life story for another yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I feel like I resonate with that too, because the, it wasn't just a, a personal confession or conversion moment that was emphasized in my upbringing, but it was also like re- being raised in Idaho. There's like this very deep, not just like anti-Catholic, but very anti-Mormon in the Protestant, like evangelical circles. Cause we're so close to Utah and there's a big Mormon presence here. Um, and so like there, there was such an opposition to anything that smacked of works based faith that even Wesleyans would be called works believers because they advocated like social engagement and, you know, like wanting to see holiness in the streets. And so I was, you know, emphasized that that conversion moment didn't have anything to do with changing you know, my heart and my life, like the way I lived my life, because that's works based faith, but it meant to categorize the right beliefs in my, in my mind, like to believe the right things meant a very cognitive organization of, of beliefs. And so it wasn't even this full holistic engagement embodied life as a Christian, it was organized um, cognitive beliefs and honestly really conspiratorial fear like that this that I, I need to be more defined by what I'm I'm against given these beliefs than than really anything else and that's what the Christian life was to, meant to be born again um, mm. and so I wasn't even able to really recognize what being born again meant until I understood that like it is this moving from having this revelation of God and Christ on the cross. And that changes everything just as dramatically as a newborn coming from womb to the world. Like that is something that you can never come back from once you realize the magnitude of what God is revealing through Christ Jesus. And because of that, it's like, you can't go back from that revelation. So how are you going to live? Like, are you yeah. going to live in opposition to that reality or are you going to live believing in that reality and letting that change everything about you, including your works? Because as James yeah. says, with works without faith is dead. Faith without works is dead, you know? And so that has been such a pivotal movement for me um, in understanding the born again language. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's so helpful. Hopefully sharing some of our experience um, helps mm. Uh, jog some of the <laughs> imaginations of our listeners and if y'all have any better uh, suggestions or mm-hmm. <laughs> ways to talk about this like let us know yeah um, yeah 
Well, this has been um, like a, a challenging and important conversation mm -hmm. for me today. So thanks for honestly coming to the text to wrestle with some of these ideas. Um, is there, do you have any parting thoughts or ideas, a kind of last um, comment about how you might preach this passage this week? Well, I think circling back around to what you said about keeping the foundation of where we are, what time it is as the church, we are walking through the season of Lent to the cross and really emphasizing that these things that Christ says cannot be understood without understanding the, the death and resurrection. And so we are constantly walking with those things in tandem. And so I think I might, you know, I think my parting words is like, I'm going to be working on how I can really ca capture what Christ is saying here about what we understand truly the cross to be, because these events in Christ's life weren't even understood by the disciples. The gospel writers are very honest about that. They didn't understand many things until the death and resurrection happened. And that's still true for us today. And when we miss that, then we kind of evacuate the cross and the resurrection of its power. Uh, right. So that's, that's where I'm kind of, kind of be re resonating as I write my sermon. Wonderful. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah, I'm actually confession, <laughs> not preaching this passage. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping company with Mark, like oh, up that's through. Yeah. yeah, like I'm so so the lectionary makes some John substitutions um, sure. lately, but I'm I'm keeping company with Mark till we get to Palm Sunday and Easter. Right. Just right. to have that continuity. So um but yeah. but it's a it's a it's again more like to choose how you're going to receive mm -hmm. this it's more jesus teaching about the yeah. his death and um and and choosing to see everything through the lens of the death and then resurrection mm -hmm. of jesus mm -hmm. so the, the ways that that changes everything right. so so that's that's where i'll be kind of similarly um this this week well thanks so much for this conversation um it's a joy as always to open the scriptures to read them faithfully diligently attentively and sometimes to leave with more questions yeah. than <laughs> answers uh, but i hope these half-baked thoughts on a tuesday morning have been uh, helpful to those of you who are listening we invite you as always to check out our website there's stellar commentaries there as well as other resources for discipleship and worship so please Take the time um, to explore the website, aplainaccount.org. Follow us on all the socials. We're not super active on there, but we do appreciate comments on our mm -hmm. Facebook discussion page. It's yeah. always great to see how you're bringing um, the text to your people and to engage in some conversations there. Um, like and subscribe. Leave us a review on where, well, whatever app you use to get your podcasts. Um, and lastly, preach boldly. Look to Jesus. Trust that God is doing the work. Amen.